Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. As always, a pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And today we celebrate the life of a gentleman who's had a big couple of weeks and he actually had a great football career in days gone by because, after all, he was part of one of the greatest teams that the game has ever seen. He played 195 games for the Brisbane Bears, stroke Brisbane Lions, and now he's in the midst of Tigerland. His name is Craig McRae, and he's in the studio. Craig, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Pete. It's good to be here. Lovely to have you along. Now, I should be honest up front and say that we are sitting down and recording this two days before the AFL Grand Final. So as people are hearing this, they're obviously going to be very happy Tigers or probably still drowning their sorrows. So... (laughs) How's the confidence level for you? Do you think that most of the people who are listening will be toasting a victory? Yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah, we've we've put ourselves in a really good position to, you know, to get an, you know, an opportunity to win another premiership. You know, two and three years is, is you know, really nice. But um, I'm certain that we'll be celebrating. I, I hope, hopefully, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't talk about the result, but we can yeah. talk about the process to get there. And I f- should first of all congratulate you because you are a premiership coach yourself in the VFL. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. It was. Um, Sunday was probably one of the more exciting but also most nervous I've ever been as a coach um, in my short tenure in that role. Uh, the last two minutes will be something I'll never forget when uh, young Willie Wheeler had a chance to win it for Williamstown and hit the post twice and yeah, it just felt so helpless. But then the emotion afterwards, it, it, it's a combination of a lot, of, a lot of hard work for a lot of people. Do you feel like you're sitting in a car with no steering wheel in those last two minutes? There's basically nothing you can do? Yeah, I think all year we've been in a really good position. We've won all our close games and we had this uh, system, if you like, where we just knew what to do in the last couple of minutes and we'd put a player behind and then we'd keep the, keep the ball in tight and then everybody was on the same page. Everyone knew it. And, yeah, we literally won all our close game, which was probably a five or six for the year. And uh, we were in this position again. We, we had everything we knew in place and and just under pressure, you know, certain little things happen and you just can't control certain things. But I've never felt more helpless. Mm. One of the things, Craig, that was noticeable was the input of the senior players, if you like. Um, who are going to have their big moment in just a couple of days as we speak. The whole place has come together. It's it's a beneficial thing. There there might be another focus of the attention for the football club, but it can only be a benefit from what we saw last Sunday. This Richmond Footy Club is a special place. I've I've been lucky to be involved in footy for a, over 20 years now and you know, 13 or 14 years coaching. And I arrived at Richmond four years ago and, and just saw the place just grow and just the way that the staff and the players look after each other. Um, you know, I can only speak for myself. I'm so grateful to be at this footy club. Uh, the care and the connection is a word we use a lot, and but you know, the way we live that out day to day is is really noticeable. And 
yeah, I've never felt more valued and appreciated in the role I do. You would have seen the change in the place over the last few years in your tenure there. Xavier Clark has been a guest on this program recently. We've spoken to Sean Grigg. And they both spoke about the difference between 2016 and then what happened in that famous year of 2017. You would have seen that firsthand. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and uh, but uh, the essence of the, you know, the the good connection and care was there. Um, we just went winning, and and there's a lot of reasons behind that. But I love and recall when there was a bit of a a coup to take over the board, and and I just love the the way the board stuck together and then and backed him in. You know, we're all part of the review of things we can do better because clearly we needed to improve. But just that strong core of leadership just made you feel like you're we're okay and then we can just get back to work. And, you know, Peggy and and then, you know, obviously Brendan and then Barmy came in and at that time just gave everybody a comfort. Just do your job and do it well. And, you know, that's, I think ultimately that was one of the main reasons we started to just get better at that time. Just mentioning Barmy, is he going for a job as Father Christmas with that beard? <laughs> what's going on there? Oh, he's, he came back after the break and what's happened and, yeah, it's, it's, he's stuck with it. So <laughs> <laughs> He's a good man though, isn't he? He's a very, very good man. And, and I think he's the, you know, one of the main reasons or one of the reasons that there's so much care in the place because that's one of his greatest strengths. Everybody knows that Dimmer has come out and said, I had to change, did things differently, had a conversation with Mrs Hardwick. She got another mention. <laughs> what about you? In what way did you change the way you went about things from 2016 to 2017? Yeah, I uh, I think I've become more authentic. Uh, you know, I had some personal stuff going on, but I'd, I'd just become more real. And I think the place allowed that. You know, we talked, to, talked about our uh, heroes' hardships and our highlights. Everybody had a chance to do that at the front. And, it just sort of gave everybody a chance to just be themselves. And, you know, if you're having a bad day, it's okay to say, hey, look, do you mind just covering for me? i just got to go do a couple of things or whatever it looked like at that time. But it just allowed everyone to be more real. And um, from that, you can then have greater relationships are built and then, you know, you just be yourself. So I, I think generally I am that person, but that allowed me to go to another level of that, part, that uh, authenticity. As I said, at this stage, we can't talk about the result because we don't know. Everybody else who's listening knows the result by now. What about the week itself? Compare it to being a player as compared to being a coach. How is the difference illustrated there in the week leading up? Yeah, I think as a player, for the first time you're involved in that week, you're just so excited for what's coming. And then you come down to Melbourne, I'm talking Brisbane times, you come down to Melbourne and then you're in a grand final parade and your family's there and there's thousands and thousands of people. So you're just caught up in it and everything. You know, again, in Brisbane at that time, football was secondary to the rugby league and even third, if you like, to rugby union. So you get put in the in the front of mind and so the excitement is there and you just embraced it. And you know, to be able to do that three or four times um, was pretty pretty exceptional part of my life or time of my life. But as a coach, you you're still more caught up in the moment. Yeah, well, you, I'm still, we're still watching tape. We're still preparing to play. You're planning training. You're planning meetings. And you're less sort of caught up in that excitement. You know, the, the fans aren't there to see you play or you, you, you coach. So um, you're just there part of supporting the player to set them up to be successful. What's grand final day like for a coach? When you wake up on grand final day, we always think, you know, it's Christmas day for grown-ups. Is it a bit like that even though you've got a job to do? Yeah, at AFL level, I'm the bench coach, so I've, I've, I get the best seat in the house. Mm. Um, so you get to experience without so much the pressure that the other coaches have. So I'm sort of just involved in making the players better and match day and acknowledging the good stuff they do or opportunities that you know, they can do better. 
um, as at the VF, as a VFL coach, it was I was pretty relaxed, and you know, we we'd won th- thirteen games in a row, whatever it was, and only lost two for the year. The group that was that ultimately um, got the job done, they were a special group, and so I was, had really good comfort and trust in that they knew you know, what 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 was required on grand final day. So I, I had a lot of calmness. And I, I must admit, as a player, I, I had the same. We had a lot of trust and belief and calmness about um, the job that was needed. Craig McRae is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Craig, having done so much of the VFL over the years in the commentary box, there was always that thing where, yes, you wanted to win, but when you're aligned with an AFL team, it's also about development, it's about structures, it's about playing players to find out whether they can do a role. How fine a balancing act is that for a VFL coach? Yeah, it is, it, it, it's really, really difficult, I must admit, Pete. It's, um, if you can't handle change, you wouldn't do the VFL in, in, this, in this role in a, a line club. They're just, it's just constant, whether it's you know, Jack Ross and Camden McIntosh, I get a phone call at 8 o'clock on Saturday night before the Sunday grand final, they're not going to play, they're going to carry over. That, those things just are consistent. So, yeah, there is a del- delicate balance. Um, I remember, recall, halfway through the issue, we, we did a mid-season review, and all the players in the VFL got you know, things they can do better or opportunities in the second half of the year. And um, you know, Dimmers decided to change the team around a bit. You know, Baker went back and Oleg Markov goes forward, all these little things. And great for the the group and individuals, but then on match day, all of a sudden we've got so much um, change that the team doesn't look the same and doesn't feel the same. So there's all the little things that go with it. My, my um, approach to it all is that change is going to happen, but we coach the players Monday to Friday to be the best versions of themselves. So it's all about the individual. But come Friday night and Saturday, it's about the team. And you've got to put your needs aside. And, and I know that I've got directive for certain players need to do certain things and time on ground and and what it looks like. But um, but that's that's ultimately um, the way I approach it is, yeah, individual during the week, match day, we're all about the team. And then when you get into a situation like in the grand final, just the only thing is winning. That's the only thing. And it wouldn't matter whether it was round two or a grand final. That competitive instinct of the boys kicks in then. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I think uh, Dim has been fantastic in giving not only myself, but all the other people involved, the autonomy that say, we want this this to happen. We want to set these players up for AFL footy every week. That's our purpose. But you get to three-quarter time, the game's close. Hey, go for it. And you know, a number of times this year we've been in that position. Um, a, a qualifying final against the Bombers were 40 points down and we just went back to playing players where they needed to play and then we just went for it. So, um, yeah, Dimmer's been outstanding with that stuff. All of the coaches, Craig, who've come into the ranks in recent years have talked about the importance of coaching their own team. You've done that. You've done it to a premiership now. Is this the entree to something bigger for you in the coaching ranks in years to come? Look, I think the four years I've been involved in the VFL, I think it's been outstanding for my own growth as a not only as a coach but also as a father and all these other things um i think well i know in myself I, i'm not keen i'm not in a hurry to do things uh i'd like to do this i'm 46 i'd like to do this till i'm 60 I, I love footy i've so fortunate to be involved with it it's a lee matthews used to say we work in our hobby How can, mm. you know, so I'm, I'm always um, very grateful for that position so i'm not in a hurry um you know i've been asked a few times to be an assistant coach at richmond and at some other places too but i, I just have great comfort that I've signed a contract. I'm committed to this for another 12 months. And then what comes, 
after that, I'm not sure. But I, I, I just like to get better in what I'm doing as well. So time will tell. The man in the chair at your old football club is showing that you don't have to be necessarily a young man to be able to do it. Chris Fagan has done a remarkable job with that team this year. To be honest, I think he's a great role model for exactly what I'm, you know, in my head, what I see my career looking like. If that comes at some stage, well, I'll approach that. But it's not a driving ego ambition that, you know, I must do this before I exit the game. It's just about continuing to get better and see what opportunities present along the way. And it was actually an opportune year because the Broncos have had a so-so year and they made a a dramatic exit from the finals in the NRL. So it's a good time for the Lions to be on the ascendancy because they just start getting a few more eyeballs now. They're in a really good place. I was only talking to uh, breakfast with uh, Michael Voss only yesterday and they were just talking about the changes um, since our time up there. And um, they're really really in a good place. They've got a good core of young players. They're well coached. Um, Obviously, the fans are coming back at... Looks like, a, hopefully, for, for them, it's an exciting time for them. Just speaking of Leper, you joined at the hip, you two. You can't yeah. get away from each other. Do you think, I asked you the question whether you might be in the big chair one day, do you think he will be? I think our industries, for some reason, um, that's an area that we can improve. Uh, um, he was involved at a club that was you know, trying to develop itself, and then you know, time is everything. And I think he's an outstanding coach. He's the best coach I've seen um, or worked with in terms of all, all, all manners of of preparation as a, for players, he sees the game so well, and and even you know Vossi, yeah, his name was mentioned this year, and so so it should. I just think the industry are quick to, you know, you fa- you fail, but I, I think failure is such an opportunity. You know, go away and be better for it. Mm. I think we should promote. You know, you can look at life however you want to look at, it, but losing is actually an opportunity as opposed to or failing as opposed to like oh he's no good. Like we just continue. If you have a growth mindset, you can get better in whatever it looks like. So somewhat the industry um, doesn't allow that. I'd love that to change. If, yeah, that'd be a good, good improvement. Hopefully, yeah, that opportunity will visit him again. When you were playing with him, did you see the coach in him? Because he was a he was a wild boy occasionally <laughs> in his playing days. I didn't see the the coach in him on the footy trips. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> was he best on normally in the footy oh, trips? We called him Frank the Tank because um, he was a, a character out of an old school movie and. And uh, he tended to act a little bit like him, um, <laughs> but no, we had a lot of fun together. It was it was such a, a great part of our, our lives growing up as young men together, you know, and moving away from home, and yeah, and then we get to celebrate and or live. I still travel with him. I travelled the last couple of years with him overseas, and yeah, we had a great friendship. Frank the Tank, eh? Don't say Frank the Tank in front of Drew Petrie. Remember when he did the Frank yeah. the Tank celebration? He's still living that one down. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about that great team that we mentioned at the start of the program, and we'll do it after the break. Craig McRae is my very special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. More coming up with Craig after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Craig McRae. 195 games for Brisbane in his illustrious career. We'll talk more about that in a moment. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Craig, take us back to where it all began in Adelaide. Yeah, I grew up uh, down at Solomon's Beach. My mum still lives there. Um, yeah, my mates uh, went to school down that way and played local footy down there and and uh, it's a special part of my life. Yeah, obviously, great connection back to my friends. I, I still got mates that come over for the grand final and uh, we went to kindergarten together. 
So it's a it's a yeah a place that I uh, have so so many fond memories. Who was your Sandful team and who was your VFL team? Yeah, I grew up uh, barracking for South Adelaide as a junior and had a connection. One of my favourite players, idol, was Mark Naley. He ended up coming over and playing for Carlton. Um, it was a great state of origin player. I, I, I just admired him as a rover back then when rovers were rovers, kicking goals and playing midfield. And then, um, but I was in this unique place in Adelaide. They had zoning back then, and so if you lived in, in the suburb I grew up on one side of the creek, you were South Adelaide. If you lived on the other side of the creek, um, you were Glenelg. And I was literally 50 metres from being South Adelaide, and I'm so I went down and, um, and started my pathway footy with Glenelg. And who was your VFL team? Because everybody had everybody in South Australia had yes. a Sandful team and a team across the border. Who was yours? Yeah, I buried for Carlton. I was a Carlton man, the Blues, because they're the same colour as South Adelaide for one. But then they had Kernahan and Motley and Bradley. They had that South Australian connection. And then obviously Mark Naley, my idol at that time, went and played for him. So, yeah, I buried hard for them. For, uh, for Carlton. And when you were growing up, they were a powerhouse team. I mean, it was still one of the biggest clubs in the land, but they were winning premierships at that stage, that premiership in 95 where they were just about invincible. So it was a good time to be a Carlton supporter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, But South Adelaide never won many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about the... Uh, now, you spoke about um, uh, South Australian football. I think you played for South Australia once, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, I played the last ever State of Origin game in yeah. 99. Um, we didn't play that well. It was a wet day at the MCG when uh, Boomer Harvey kicked all those goals. So mm. it was a great experience. One of my memories is that because I'm quite a, a small guy and um, not overly big, the, the jumpers must have been one size fits all because I remember putting on this old woolen jumper and I was number one. I, I don't know whether that's because n- number one was the smallest jumper, <laughs> but it was a woolen jumper. And was, I remember putting it on and going, oh, really? Like it was long and I tucked it in. I never liked to tuck in my jumper, but I tucked it in and then it got wet. I remember running around. It was coming out of the bottom of my shorts. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was one of my memories. But it was a, a great experience, and I'm really grateful for it. Do you think we'll see State of Origin again, or is the concept just too far gone now? I think we see it every week. I yeah, think, we I do. Think, I think the concept concept is now every week, and there's some passion. and, and I A couple of years ago, the All-Stars played the Vicks. I think it could come and go, but I'm not sure it'll be there. Um, as a regular fixture. All right, back to where we were. Um, how did the boy from South Australia all of a sudden find himself going up to Brisbane? Yeah, I was um, a late developer. I, I don't think I went to, through puberty at about 19, so I was pretty, <laughs> pretty skinny. And, and uh, Was that reflected in the, uh, in the girlfriends, the amount of girlfriends? I had no girlfriends. Really? Zero, yeah. Um, yeah, probably because of the way I looked as well. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was, I don't know. I just uh, ended up... Uh, Growing late, and so then I was up against quite a small guy playing against bigger guys, and I think ultimately that helped me. Uh, um, not getting chosen in my year eleven school team was a good motivation to prove them wrong. wrong. And so I was pretty driven to to get to where I wanted to be. I, was, I always had a dream to be a BFL f- footballer at that time or SNFL. Uh, but I ended up in the pathway at Glenelg when went, went to, to under nineteens and then reserves really quickly, um, and then. That year finished, we played in the grand finals, you know, an 18-year-old guy turning 19, and then Mark Williams got the job. Mark Williams was his first coaching job with Glenelg as a senior coach, and I remember in the pre-season he said to me, um, I'm going to play young kids, and you're going to be the first one. He probably said that to everyone. Mm. <laughs> I didn't know, but for me that was like, okay, I'm going to train really hard, and I, I do recall having a really good pre-season. And back then I got um, 
they had the, like the JLT type games. I yeah. played in one of those and and didn't play very well my first game and Choco <laughs> made me aware of it. But then the next game um, I played quite well and, and then it was the mid-season draft time, and, oh, sorry, um, pre-season draft time and I found myself got drafted after that game. I was quite, um, yeah, I couldn't believe it. So you're heading up to Brisbane, the Brisbane Bears as they were at that stage. We think about Brisbane and we think about the power teams that we're going to talk about a bit later on, but it wasn't quite that way with the Brisbane Bears. There are a lot of things, a lot of hurdles that they had to overcome. That's right. And, and you know, I arrived when, you know, Justin Lepich arrived the year before, Nigel Lappin, Chris Scott, Jason Nakamanis arrived the same year as I, Clark Keating. Um, yeah, there was a real core of young guys coming through that were pretty exciting. And, yeah, we, we, were, we had Roger Merritt and Andrew Buse were our leaders at that time, and they'd, they'd had ex- experience of success. And Robert Walls was my first coach, and, mm. oh, God, he was scary. Um, <laughs> but I think... Um, yeah, the, the shift had happened, like the move to the Gabba the year before I arrived. There was a shift. Um, it hadn't equated to wins on um, on the scoreboard, but there was a shift. And with all that youth that come in and, and Robert Walls creating this professionalism that maybe wasn't there prior to me, I, I can't comment on that. But there was a, it was a shift. And then halfway through that year, that something, something, you know, the penny dropped. I don't know what it was. I know Robert Walls said he was leaving and maybe relaxed a bit. I, I don't really can't recall exactly why, but we were sort of second, third to bottom halfway through that year, and then all of a sudden we made the finals in my first year. Um, we won you know, six of the last seven or seven of the last eight and found our way into a final against the Blues. And so the switch had been flicked, and some of the things that I was talking about, Craig, speaking of Wolsey, Wolsey's told the story before that he had to reach into his own pocket to pay the players at various times. It was so close, that club, to basically disintegrating would have robbed us of one of the greatest eras that we've ever seen in football had it done so. Yeah, and, and watching from afar in Adelaide, as a, you because know, I, I didn't go the first year I was drafted. They said stay because I was clearly I was 60 kilos, so I needed to put on some size. And Not that much more now. No, no, I haven't grown much. Um, so I, I think watching from afar, it was always a bit like that. And, and in South Australia, like the, the stars of Chris McDermott and these guys in Jarmans that got drafted, they never went. That was... That was the reality of the time at, um, prior to myself. So it was a little bit of like other bad news bears. or you know, mm. But again, when I got there, it didn't feel like that. It felt like there was an environment that was welcoming and young guys all sort of trying to to, to make themselves better. So, um, you know, timing's everything in life, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And given that injection of talent, all of that timing with all of those great players coming to the club at once and you said the switch was flicked and you make the finals, did you see in your wildest dreams, what was going to happen? What was about to happen with that football club? No, I, I, I didn't have the foresight to think that. I, I, yeah, I didn't even mention one of the best players of all time, Michael Voss, arrived at that, mm. you know, prior to that. So we had the right cattle in place and just, yeah, I, I suppose we just had a few small missing pieces um, looking back at it. The next year we made a brilliant final and, yeah, we, we had momentum and we had youth that wanted to get better and hungry and, um, we just probably just needed to, we probably didn't believe it. We didn't realise how close we were. It was just happening around us, the young guys just you know, trying to find their feet in AFL footy. So we didn't realise how close we were. So if you're that close, something can tip you over the edge to the top. Was that something Lee Matthews? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, absolutely was. He he just came in, in 98, we finished bottom. There was a merger in a mix of all that and there was... 
you know, trying to come together. I know at Richmond we talk about connection all the time. It just felt disconnected in certain parts, um, from board level to administration to coaching to playing. It was all sort of out of whack. And I remember Lee saying, day one, players will play, coaches will coach, and administrators will administer. And it would just put us every in the right alignment. And you know, and he, he just had this ability to just get everyone on the same page. So you arrive in the 2000s, probably hopeful, and it takes only one more year, 2001, before the first of those great grand finals occurred. What was the, the thoughts of a young fellow going into that grand final? I know we touched on it a little bit before, but that particular grand final, did you go into that confident? Yeah, absolutely. We, we hadn't lost a game for X amount of weeks. And, yeah. And yeah, the belief in the group was really high. Um, yeah, I remember being on the bus and I'm sitting next to Michael Voss and we just felt ready. Like, you know, we're just smiling, embracing it all, just not nervous at all. I, it's, as a young kid growing up in South Australia, you see the big banners. And I remember just as a kid going, wow, this, just seeing this unbelievable size banner. Mm. And that was the, my memories of a kid as a grand final day. And I just couldn't wait to run through a massive banner. And I, so I'm walking down the old Richmond race and the cages there, the, the old rooms that were there back then in 2001. And I just saw this banner. I just felt like was, I was just so excited and the roar. Was just, I couldn't have yeah, dreamt of being in a better place. Did you float onto the ground? Did your feet not touch the ground, yeah. say, for five minutes in the warm-up? It's one of those things that it doesn't matter how you're feeling before the game, sore, injured, tired, whatever, that moment will change it. And mm. you just felt this this buzz. It, it's a memory that you won't forget. And I'm lucky to be able to experience that. Yeah, now in my coaching role, walking on the MCG with the Richmond faithful, screaming out the same sort of noise. I mentioned the thought when the siren goes. So you, here you are in 2001, you win a premiership. What's your recollections of what happened after the siren? Um, the other question that I often ask is, did you go hard that night or did you just pull back and take it all in? Oh, no, it went hard. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen history littered with teams that win the premiership. It's a huge achievement. And they treat it as such, and then the backup is not there. When did the mindset amongst the club say, "This is good, but we can go better. We can do this again." Yeah, it's, I think ultimately that's player driven. You know, you can you can have all sorts of leadership, but the players really got to want to do it. To be honest, I, th- I found it really addictive, and we we went back to training, and maybe we we had the fortune of being in Brisbane, where footy's not. You're not exposed. Like no one would know who I was, and probably still don't, which is okay with me. But you, you just have this ability to go back to training. Say, did we just do that? You rock up at training first day, and there's no one there. You know, it's just Brisbane training, and it's hot, and another evening to train. So we're all sort of scratching ourselves. We actually did that. So, but just get back to work. And we had, we had a really good core. There's 15 players that played in three premierships. So it was a core of mature guys that would, with you know, Blackie. Luke Power and, and Jonathan Brown as the youth of that, um, really driven to to get more of what we had. The question I asked you before probably sounded a bit silly because, of course, you have to be confident going into a grand final. But the reason that I asked you were you confident in 2001, did then 02, 03 and even going into 04, did you feel more than confidence in that team? Did you feel almost an air of invincibility that if we're at our best, nobody can beat us? Well, Lee had this... Like, like I said before, ability to keep us all on the same page. And one of the most memorable times I, I recall being the most confident was when we beat Sydney in a prelim final 
in 2003. Collingwood were the favourites somewhat at that that year because they beat us um, only a couple of weeks before in a final. But again, Lee had this ability. If we lost the game, he'd, he'd say, "We do this differently next time. We'll be okay." And we we all believed in the message. Um, so 2003 was probably the most confident I'd ever been going into the grand final. And then, you know, quarter time the game was almost done. Mm. Put your coach's hat on for a minute, Craig. If you sense that amongst the players that you're coaching, if you sense that they're sitting there saying, we can't be beaten, is that a good thing or do you need to just keep them on the boil and make sure that they don't get ahead of themselves? Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I like my philosophy is around setting the players up to be successful. So whatever that looks like, and, you know, coming into a game where you know the opposition might try this or take this away from you, I think you've just got to make them aware of that. But... That belief is built on evidence, and the, the evidence is over a number of, number of um, a body of work. So um, let the players believe as much as they like. Um, I think it's a powerful tool. And you know, I learned from Lee he, a bit of that snowball effect, he would call it, that as it gets bigger, get out of the way of it, you know, as it's rolling down the hill. So I've, I've certainly know and, and learned from Lee in that regard that just keep them on track. You know, don't get in their way. Uh, let it just flow and... Yeah, ultimately let, let it take its own course, but just keep it on, on its path. You touched on the supreme confidence in 03. You probably weren't that confident, say, 25-minute mark of the last quarter in 02 until your old mate, your old teammate, <laughs> and someone that you had a bit to do with, worked in the media with him, Acker, came up with that remarkable goal. Yeah, and, and, and that was the special thing with that group, that we had so many players that had the ability to step up in the moment, and he was as good as any in the game that had that ability to kick goals or ignite the team, and he didn't have a great day that that game and he just had the ability to late to, to kick the winner and he still tells me about it. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Is he a misunderstood soul, Acker? You know so. him better than most. Yeah, I do. I, I have a really good um, uh, working relationship with him. I did for a number of years and I still keep in contact with him. I do think he's misunderstood. Uh, the, the Jason that the media see or the, the fans see it isn't the Jason that I know and I, I think I struggle with that at times because I'd love to see him be that person more, be more authentic, be more Jason and um, yeah, he, he's he's made some mistakes in his life that I'm sure that he'd love to have back. But um, yeah, I think ultimately he's, he's got a good heart. So was it a sad time for you when you looked at the fracture that happened between him and the football club that he'd represented so well and basically almost the situation seemingly became untenable? That must have hurt you a bit. I wasn't really invested in as much as that. I, like I, yeah, I loved the footy club and I was working in the media with Jason uh, at that time in Brisbane and uh, we had a radio show together up there, and you know, I, I care about the guy, um, but you know, somewhat the club's bit bigger than the individual, and mm. I, I do believe that. And I think Jason, it was probably time for him to go. I, I think he wasn't, you know, performing at a level that maybe that the club wanted with with the other stuff that was going along with it. So, um, yeah, I care about the guy, but I think I think even he would admit to it's probably time for him to go as well. Did he ever seek your counsel on that, Craig? Given the fact that you were not only teammates but working together and experienced a lot together, did he ever ask your advice on the way that he should do things, or was Acker just beating or dancing to the beat of Acker's drum? Yeah, I'm, I think I think I'm a good listener. I, I'm prepared to listen, but I, I don't tend to judge that much and just hear him out. I think he had an opportunity to vent to me a couple of times. So I took took the phone call, but yeah, without trying to give give too much advice on what was required at that time and let him you know, 
choose his own journey, if you like. We're only midway through our chat about one of the greatest teams of all time. We'll continue that when we come back on the other side of the break. Talk more about that dominant performance in 2003 and then, of course, 2004 to see whether it could happen four times in a row. We know what the outcome of that was. We'll find out more about it when we continue with Craig McRae on the other side of the break. This is your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Craig McRae is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Of the grand finals, 0-1-0-2-0-3, was 0-3 the most dominant performance because of that invincibility that you felt going into the game? Was that the crowning moment? Was that the best game the footy club had ever put together? I'm not sure about the best game, uh, but certainly it was the most dominant performance in the grand final because we, we had the game won at half time. Uh, the other 2001, I think we came from behind, 20-odd uh, points down or whatever, and then the, the struggle of 2002. So yeah, it was definitely our best performance on the day. So I asked you the question about keeping things going, keeping the hunger going. You did it twice. You backed up from 01 to 02, 02 to 03. How hard is it to keep that going? Because there must be that sense of achievement that you get when you know that you're in one of the greatest teams. How do you keep that hunger maintained to make another grand final? The hardest thing I recall is that you be, just become the hunted every week. You might be playing a team that's down the bottom and you're playing them in a way and they're just coming at you and they're trying to, you know, they know they have to lift to another level to play against, you know, this team. So that was that was obvious. And then the draw seems to get harder or mm. just little things just continually add up. Like we were never, we never finished on top at that time um, in those four years. We were sort of second or third or whatever it looked like. So we um, we weren't the best team during the home and away team, but we just had this ability come September time, like I said, with this belief that we knew what was required. The hunger, again, came back to the leadership, our training, our, you know, the, the ability just to want to get better. And we had an unbelievable core of, of players that just were some of the best trainers you've ever seen. Like Simon Black is un, was an unbelievable trainer. Mm. Um, Jonathan Brown, they all, they all learned off the senior players of what was required. Our, our training was incredible. Did some of the things that Brownie did on the football field make you just stand there and go, oh, no, don't do that? I was trying to crumb, crumbing patterns 10 to 2, as we call it. I was I was 10 to 2 on Jonathan Brown running back for the flight of the MCG against the Hawks. So I had the best seat in the house watching him with his courage. It was, um, yeah, he's quite phenomenal as a player. Speaking of being the hunted, one thing just popped into my mind. Nigel Lapham was hunted one night in a training session before a grand final. That is now part of folklore. Did you see all that unfolding? Did you think this is as brutal as it ever gets? I, I wasn't privy to the, the actual fitness test, but I knew what Nigel was going through um, and then fully aware of what he was you know, potentially p- putting himself at risk. So, yeah, the courage that he, sh- he showed at that time was unbelievable, you know, like um, to put himself in that position. Not only to do that, you, you, there's one thing to play. The other one is to play well. Mm. And he was, he was a star player. I don't think he gets the recognition for how good he was. It's amazing when you think about it, Craig, isn't it? One of the old sayings in footy is don't take injured players into finals. But there's that with Nigel Lappin. Jeremy McGovern 
last year did a similar thing when he was completely busted up and we know what he did in that passage of play that eventually led to Dom Sheed's goal. Maybe we overstate that. Maybe there is that desire and that willingness amongst the great players to be able to get over the line regardless of how sore they are. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. I, know, I do recall in 2004 going into the game quite injured and you know, did the preparation to try to get up and it does play on your mind and, and you know, I think the special players are special players for a reason. You know, I recall Michael Voss playing most of the year in 2001 with a, a bung knee and he just continued to play well. They just find a way. That, that's why they're the greats. So given that in 2004, you're banged up a bit. You've got a few sore bodies going into the grand final against Port Adelaide. We've already touched on that air of invincibility. Was that waning a little bit as you headed into 04? Yeah, I, I do recall we felt more vulnerable. I still thought we had the tools to get it done. I, it's funny how it works. You, you, yeah, we, we beat St Kilda in a qualifying final, the first game of 2004 final series, and we, we beat them convincingly. You get a week off thinking you're going to play a home prelim final, and we're as healthy as we've been in four years. And we think we, we've never been in better shape. Uh, we end up coming the draw the AFL decide for us to play in Melbourne. We play Geelong, and then we we get banged up within within one game. We lose Sean Hardy, fractured his face, and you know there were so many injuries in that game or little niggles that we carried. And you know, short break with the travel, it it just caught up with us. It, it, you need so much luck to to get the job done um, at AFL level. Um, they're not easy to win, and that that was a good example of it. While you mentioned the name Sean Hart. His courage was legendary as well. Was he one of the unsung heroes? Because we all talk about Brown and Voss and Ackermanis and the big names in that team. But Sean Hart was a bloke who went out there and bled for the football club. He, he was surely an unsung hero in that great era. Yeah, I think he's he's the heart and soul of that group. I, personally, mm. I, I love the guy. He's an incredible human. Um, yeah, I only saw him at the airport a couple of weeks ago and I just gave him the biggest hug. Like just, he's just an incredible human being that that created so much you know, love around him. He was just the hardest trainer you've ever seen. He, he was an Olympic runner. In his off-season, he's running with Steve Monaghetti. Mm. <laughs> like, he was an incredible athlete. And, um, yeah, I think he, he definitely was the heart and soul of that group. So, 04, you lose. You finally find out what it's like to lose a grand final. How bitter is the feeling, especially when you've become addicted, as you said, to that winning feeling? Yeah, that was my last ever game. So mm. it was, uh, did you know it was your last game? Yeah, I, I I knew that year that I would, you know, personally would just come into the end of you know the motivation and uh, the hunger, if you like. And I worked so hard from that little boy and that didn't go through puberty to nineteen to <laughs> to get to that moment. And I so I yeah I wanted to go out in my terms. So I knew that was my last year. And I announced it uh, leading into the finals. So yeah, I didn't know how far we we're going to go, um, but knowing it was my last game was yeah it was quite emotional, but. Um, yeah, you look back now and, and Lee was really big on it. It was about the journey. You know, so the journey itself was quite remarkable, but that day was memorable for maybe the wrong reasons. Do you recall, Craig, what your feelings were when you woke up on that Sunday morning? Because it is such a wrench to not do or face the prospect of not doing something that you've done for so many years, almost every day. Yeah, I do re- remember Lee being quite matter-of-fact saying after the game that You'll, you'll never forget this for the rest of your life. You've missed an opportunity of a lifetime. So that was that was some of the words I recall. But also he said the sun would come up. And I remember getting up and the sun didn't come up. It was raining and it was cloudy and it didn't come up. So I <laughs> believe you're listening, you're wrong. Um, but 
it did take a little bit of time to, to recover from that. Um, yeah, I, I can see Collingwood lost a couple of grand finals in, in a row in 02 and 03, and then the year after they had a, a bit of a down year. I could see how that could happen. I could see losing grand final, the emotion of being so close, how you could quite often maybe lose your way instead of that motivation to get back. I could, there's two sides to every story, but yeah, I think that that was quite um, hard to take. Great teams are great teams regardless of the era and you were part of one of them. We're just about out of time. We'll take our final break and then some final thoughts on Craig McRae's journey in football and what a journey it was. This is your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, our final segment coming up with Craig after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Craig McRae on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You touched on the evolvement of the game just before the break, Craig. It seems to be that we are tinkering with something every few weeks in footy. Are you amongst the school that says leave the game alone or do you think the changes that we've come up with are for the better? I think the game has to evolve. Um, the, the, the issue I, I suppose I have is that we bring in things that are meant to make the game better, but there's not the evidence to suggest it's going to. You know, like the 666, for example, I, hasn't made it better. Well, I'm, maybe, arguably. Um, but some of the rules you come in without the evidence is, is the things I scratch my head about. Like um, if we're concerned about you know, 666, for, I'm again, using that example, um, what's to say you can't put... You know, players behind the ball in the last five minutes of every quarter, you've yeah. probably got the same result, um, or maybe even better because then you can manipulate your your opportunities forward of the ball. So that's probably my my take on it all. Is change change is important. I think we've got to embrace change, but maybe have the evidence to suggest it's going to actually make an improvement. I spoke about the juxtaposition that you have as a VFL coach compared to being in the AFL system and the and the balance that's got to be struck. Everybody says the coaches have got. A responsibility to the game, but surely your responsibility is to your club and to win the game, not so much the look of the game. You don't care if it's the ugliest game of football you've ever seen, so long as you're one point in front of the opposition when the siren sounds. Yeah, yeah, somewhat. But we we also have a a purpose, if you like, and we talk about we want to be fun to watch. And you know, this is Richmond I'm talking about. We're um, I think if you come watch our supporters are like us when we're up and going, and you know, knocking the ball on and playing fast and. Yeah, I think we are fun to watch at our best. You have good pressure around the footy, uh, around the footy. Sorry, and so um, yeah, it depends on how you want the game to be played. We want to be fun to watch. You were part of a team that was one of the great teams, had a great era. Are the Tigers on the verge of that? Yeah, I think every team's going to be different, aren't they? And like we spoke about the eras of it, but this this group is a special group, and it's based on all sorts of you know, skill and talent, and we've got a lot of special players amongst it, but they're. The way that the whole footy club is connected and then the excitement around that, yeah, I'd like to think that there's not too many players that are going to be moving on. There's no reason to think we can't be back there next year. Yours has been a remarkable football journey to be part of one of the great football teams of all time. Is a great feather in your cap and you're a wonderful part of it. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Uh, I've respected you for a long time. I've admired your work on the VFL and, and throughout the industry, so it's a pleasure to be on your show. Great to have you in. Craig McRae joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed the chat and we'll have more coming up same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91